You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. Well, this morning we... We continue our time in the Gospel of Luke. We started Luke during Advent, so right at Christmas we started um, our time in the Gospel of Luke. And um, the, what we've done this morning, what we've done really over the year, we're going to be in Luke through all the way to Easter. But instead of just walking through Luke chronologically, we've divided Luke into many sermon series um, that are related uh, to specific themes. And so this morning is. Uh, is our time where we're going to start spending some time looking at specific miracles that are unique to Luke's gospel. So we're going to do about four or five miracles that are unique to Luke's gospel for multiple reasons. Uh, the other writers of the gospels, Mark, Matthew, and John, don't record the miracles that we're going to look at in Luke's gospel. And I'd encourage you not to be suspicious of this. Luke includes a ton of events that happen in the other gospels. Um, None of the miracles or events that we look at in Luke that are unique to Luke are in tension or conflict with the other Gospels. And this gives us a hint as to why Luke wrote this Gospel in the first place, right? Because, like, at the time of writing, uh, when Luke is writing his Gospel, um, the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark would have been in wide circulation among the early church. We have evidence that they were being read as Scripture from pulpits in the early church. Um, And if Luke just wrote the same thing, then we wouldn't need it. We wouldn't need the gospel of Luke. But inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's as if Luke read these accounts and says, yes, uh, that's all true. And having spent so much time with these disciples, the people who live with and follow Jesus, Luke begins to record his gospel. And his account of Jesus's life includes some of the events that nobody's heard of firsthand just yet. Um, but they, only because they haven't been recorded. And so all that to say, uh, this morning we're going to look at one of these, one of the first of these um, new miracles that we haven't read about in the Gospels, and it's about when Jesus calls some of the first disciples to follow him, and all the Gospels have this account, but only Luke has the account of a corresponding miracle. The other Gospels just kind of say, there were fishermen, Jesus called them, and they followed him. But Luke gets into some granular detail about that event that we're going to look at together that you've already heard read. So all that said, let me pray for our time together, and then we will, uh, we will jump into this text. Lord, thank you for uh, your word this morning. Thank you for a new year. Um, thank you that we get to be together. I pray that you would teach us by your word, just like you taught the crowds from the boat that you would teach us now um, by, by what you've written and what you've said and will we follow you, will we learn from the disciples who have followed you first, what it looks like and what it means to give up everything and follow you. Um, I pray that you'd be with us this morning, that you would clear our heads from distraction um, and that you would help us to embrace your word by your Holy Spirit with love and kindness and grace for one another and for the people in our lives who don't know the gospel, who don't know you. So I pray that this would translate into action for us this morning. The first being that we would love and know you more and uh, follow you. So we trust you with this this morning, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. 
All right, let me read um, the first three verses together because that's where we're going to focus on first uh, one more time. This is chapter 5, verse 1. It says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, uh, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is ju- that's just the Sea of Galilee. That's another name for the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And so Jesus getting into one of the boats, which was Simon or Peter's, that's Simon Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So here's the picture. Jesus is walking along the sea and there are people pressing him to teach. They've already begun following Jesus and, and they're hungry to hear this this prophet in their minds teach about God. And so they're pressing in on him so much that he's, it's almost like he's trying to get his robes wet, like he's on the ocean and they're pressing in. They want to hear him speak. And he sees the fishermen cleaning their nets and he sees their empty boats and he kind of wades out into the water and he gets on this boat. Um, and then he, he starts teaching. And we're not told exactly what Jesus is teaching in this moment, but if you look right back at chapter 4, we see that Jesus at this time had been preaching in the synagogues, and it says he was preaching the good news of the kingdom of God which had come to earth in him. And he was saying things like, I have been sent for this purpose. He was saying uh, that the kingdom of God has come and God will save the people from his sins through the Messiah. And Jesus is not yet connecting for people that he is the Messiah. He's, he's certainly not saying, I am God, I am he. He's, that, that secret is still kind of marinating within his teaching, but, um, but he's certainly interpreting the Jewish law uh, and, and how God will fulfill this law in a person by the kingdom coming to earth, and God will save sinners through this sacrificed Messiah. So this is the type of teaching that Jesus is doing from this boat, and, and, and really he's teaching about himself, and so even before we talk about fishing, even before we talk about them casting their nets as fishermen, uh, Jesus is in the boat and he's teaching the gospel, the good news, over the crowds. And Alfred Plummer uh, paints the scene this way, a theologian. He says, Christ uses Simon Peter's boat as a pulpit from whence, from where to throw the net of the gospel over the hearers. This beautiful picture of Jesus is going to model, before he even does it, what it looks like to fish for men, to cast the net of the gospel over the people hearing the gospel. So he's going to do this before, uh, before even calling them to be fishers of men. Then uh, let's look at the miracle itself, continuing in verse 4. This happens. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, well, Master, we, we toiled all night and we took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. I mean, this is an incredible event. Jesus, a son of a carpenter, gives them and us this miraculous and real life sermon illustration in the moment. He says, hey, you who vocationally, you commercial fishermen, this is your job. You've, you've fished these waters probably your whole adult life. He says, fish there. And it's kind of this audacious moment, right? Like, who is Jesus to tell them how to do their job? And Peter answers as such, but it's not like a lack of faith moment. He, he, his first reaction is, um, okay, well, we, we have been fishing all night, and we have caught nothing, and we only fish these waters, it's our, it's our whole job. 
this is, this is our vocation, right? He's, he's kind of saying, okay, here's why I think that's not going to work. Um, but then he, he does display his faith. He says, but, but to you, Jesus, you, you who are teaching about the gospel, uh, the kingdom coming on the boat, for you, if you say it, we will do it. And then, of course, there are so many fish that the boat sinks, the nets break. They need help to haul in their fish. And in this moment, Jesus, one, one application is that Jesus knows their vocation and their needs better than they do. Right? Like, were the fish there and Jesus just knew it? Or did Jesus conjure fish with his authoritative power in that spot? Both could be true. We actually don't know. Uh, it's actually not important. What matters is that Jesus said, cast, they threw their nets there, and there were fish. There was the haul of fish. And I think the, the quick application point there is Jesus knows their vocation better than them. There's a reality that Jesus knows your vocation better than you. He knows about your work and what it's like to do your job better than you do. He knows what it means to be faithful in your job. And this kind of syncs up with this faith and work seminar. We didn't plan that, but... There is this seminar where we're going to talk about on Saturday what it means to follow Jesus well and faithfully and how Jesus knows your vocation better than, than you do and I do. So, so there's this, this scene plays out, this miracle plays out, and then let's see what, what Peter's response is in the next verse. It says, verse 8, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knee and said, Depart from me, for I'm, sinful. I, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were there were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And also, uh, so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon Peter. So Peter's response is uh, maybe a little surprising, but it's, it's really the typical response for those who encounter God. Right, like we can think back to Isaiah chapter six, where Isaiah is in the throne room of God, and he says, "Woe am I! Woe to me!" Um, for my lips are not clean. I am a man of unclean lips. Or think of Ezekiel chapter 1, where Ezekiel encounters the Lord, and Ezekiel, what does he do? He, he falls on his face before the Lord. Um, in, in, in any instance where somebody encounters God in the Bible, there's an immediate awareness of one's sinfulness, sinfulness in the presence of a of a holy God. But in all three examples, in Isaiah and Ezekiel, and here in Luke, God's response is not to destroy them because of their sin. It's instead to restore them. God doesn't ignore Isaiah's sin. He, he takes them away. He presses a hot coal to Isaiah's lips and say, you, your sins are forgiven. God doesn't ignore Ezekiel's sin in chapter 1. He sends the Holy Spirit to enter Ezekiel, and thus his sins are forgiven. And Simon Peter will be saved by Jesus. Jesus will die in Simon's place. He doesn't know that, that Jesus is God yet, but, but the attention of this miracle is clearly on Peter. Peter knows Jesus uses divine power and authority to teach and to instruct them to cast their nets. He knows that Jesus uses divine power for them to catch this amazing haul of fish. He, he doesn't know that Jesus is God, but but Peter won't fully know that Jesus is God until Jesus rises from the dead and appears to him again. But here, Peter is in charge of the boat. Peter is addressed, and Peter responds with one of the first vocal acknowledgments of fear and his own sinfulness and of worship. He falls down at Jesus' feet. 
This is Peter's confession. It's that he is sinful. He cannot be saved. So, so leave me, God. I, I'm too sinful. Depart from me. Jesus' response in verse 10 is this. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Peter confesses in the previous verse, and here he is told to cast away his fear, and he is commissioned for the mission of Jesus to catch men with the gospel. Remember, Jesus has shown what this is like, right? He stood in this boat, or he sat in this boat, and he proclaimed the good news, the kingdom of God, the Messiah who saves. He, he cast the net of the gospel over the people who were there to listen to him. And then Jesus shows them this power. He shows them the power and authority that he wields as they cast their physical nets into the water, and they haul out the fish that Jesus has authority over as well. And now, at Peter's confession, Jesus has come... All of you will be fishers of men. Cast a different net and bring in my harvest. This is a commission moment. It's similar to the great commission that's given to all of us who follow Jesus in the room. We are to go, therefore, it says, and proclaim the gospel, baptizing everyone in the name of Jesus and teaching them everything that he's commanded. And so in this study this week, I've thought and prayed about um, about my casting of that net, of my casting of the gospel. And actually, uh, I, I'm here to say I don't, I don't necessarily consider myself a net caster when it comes to evangelism. I, I'm much more of a fly fisherman. And if, you, if you've been fly fishing, here's what I mean. Uh, you know what this is like if you've been fly fishing. I, t I take my rod, and the water is so clear that I see a fish and I, I see exactly what type of fish that is. It's a trout, and I've talked to a fly guide, so I know what type of fly that trout wants to eat in this particular season, and so I carefully tie that little fly, and I put it right in front of his face multiple times, and 80% of the time, that trout doesn't do anything, or it just swims away. <laughs> um, but, but every once in a while, I get it just right, and I catch that fish, and I get it all the way into my net, and I realize, like, that's how I treat evangelism. I, I have one friend uh, who, who doesn't know Jesus, and I try and figure out exactly what kind of gospel presentation, be it emotional or intellectual, I can throw in front of his face enough times that he'll bite. Um, and I just keep casting that gospel presentation in front of his face for years. And, and that's not, it's not totally wrong, but it's not the picture that Jesus is giving here. He's saying, you know, the gospel is like a big net. And if you've been cast fishing, like I also have, you, you take a big net in your hands, you throw it over where you think fish will be, and then when you, when you pull that up, the weights sink down and they catch all these fish. It's a really easy way to fish, but you're fishing for a specific type of little bait, typically. Jesus is saying, be liberal with your proclamation of the gospel, and Jesus says, like the fish in the water, I will give you a harvest. And so, I'm not saying don't try and evangelize that one person. That's totally not what I'm saying. I think that's good, and I think we should do it. But I think what Jesus is talking about is living and talking and serving and praying and loving and working, doing all those things in a way that's constantly kind of casting the gospel out from us, right? Like casting the gospel over everyone who comes in contact with my life, whether it's a coworker, a friend, a family member, or a lost person on the street. 
Everyone who comes in my home, I want to be encountering the gospel. I'm convicted by this, and I'm confessing it. I've been too conservative with my casting, going for the one and living kind of apathetically towards everybody else when I should just be casting a really wide net. When the, when the disciples encounter Jesus, they, they drop everything and they follow him. It's not only a picture of evangelism. This is also a picture of salvation. Jesus teaches we hear the words of Jesus proclaimed, right? He teaches from the boat. Well, well, the proclamation he teaches us is that it's the gospel. It's that Jesus lived a righteous life, which for those who follow him is counted to them. His, his perfect life is counted to those of us who's everybody with an imperfect life. And the, the gospel is that Jesus died a sinner's death, which means for those of us who follow him who have sinned once or a million times in our life, the punishment for our sin is death. And yet, Jesus died on a cross in place of us. And the gospel is that Jesus rose from the dead and he is enthroned and glorified as king, the firstborn of the dead, and he sends us his Holy Spirit that lives within us. So those who follow him, we will not only just be saved, but we'll also grow in our image barrenness. We will grow in the way we are like Jesus. We will become more like him. So we hear his teaching. We respond with an acknowledgement of our sinfulness. If this is true, then I am a sinner in need of saving. And his response for those who confess that is, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. He will make you new. He will make all things new. Follow me. And when we follow him, he won't only change us. He will use us to change others. He will use us to catch others. He will use us to display the beauty of Jesus, the love of Jesus, and the salvation of Jesus as we proclaim the gospel into people's lives liberally. This is good news for people who know us too, that if they follow Jesus, they will be saved. So we are we are changed when we believe in and follow Jesus. We are changed in such a way that in our lives we begin casting out gospel nets like the gospel service and the gospel proclamation to others reverberates out of the way we live our lives. From those who follow Jesus by the power of this Holy Spirit, if we are, if we are praying and being changed by the Holy Spirit, then people who come into contact with us will come into contact with God. Not because we are God. Because the Holy Spirit of God is in us because Jesus has changed us. The good news for me and you is that I don't have to worry about finding the fish or not. Jesus provides the harvest. Jesus provides the harvest. People will come to him. You came to him. That is a promise. This is encouraging for me this week as I've kind of grappled with how I proclaim the gospel to non-believers. And I get, I'm, I'm different than a lot of you in that uh, for me to be a Christian at work is not only okay, I'd be fired if it wasn't true <laughs> by you guys. Um, but when we think about work and when we think about our lives and our neighbors and our friends and time at the park or time at the coffee shop, right? Like, I want to live in such a way, I want to invite you to think about this, pray about this, chew on this this week, live in a way that I'm not... I'm not have a megaphone everywhere saying, repent, Jesus is Lord, but that people who encounter me encounter the gospel. What does that look like? I, I'm, I'm on that journey with you. I want to I figure that out with you. 
I want to begin praying for the harvest. I think that's the place to begin. And, and I'm going to believe that Jesus will make us, Sojourn Mantras, fruitful as we begin proclaiming the gospel more liberally, casting wider nets into our neighborhood. The good news is the net we cast is, is good news. It's good for us. It's good for them. It's good for the world. So let's, as we kind of come to the table this morning and wrap up, let's, let's remember the sacrifice of Jesus Let's be invigorated for the mission that he has blessed us with, and let's know that if we are blessed with the opportunity to feast on his body and his blood and his life, then that opportunity is for others as well, and he wants to use us to present his sacrifice to them. What an honor. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that we can trust. We ask you to make us a church into um, as a church, into fishers of men, into men and women who live our lives in such a way that gospel nets are cast out from us, that the gospel reverberates out from us, and that we would impact and touch the people's uh, lives who are near to us, neighbors, friends, coworkers, Lord. We pray that you would make the harvest plentiful in our church, in our lives. We trust you, we love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen.